Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Excited for a road trip? Start it off right with auto coverage from American Family Insurance. J.D. Power ranked us number one in customer satisfaction with the auto insurance shopping experience among mid-size insurers. Get a quote at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. For J.D. Power 2021 award information, visit JDPower.com awards. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network and iHeartRadio. For all the programming that we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. Dr. Martin Ball is my guest this hour. He is one of the world's leading experts on non-duality and ethogenic experience and is particularly known for his revolutionary work with 5-MEO-MDT, I'm sorry, DMT, that, uh, well, let's bring Martin on. Martin, explain to me what you're known for. Okay, well, first I'll go back to the term entheogen because that's a term that's not familiar to many people. That's a term that was coined like back in the 1970s by cultural researchers who were looking at the way that plants and substances that were generally known as being psychedelics or hallucinogens were being used in traditional cultures for religious and ceremonial purposes. And so they coined this term entheogen, which means generating the experience of God within to kind of distinguish it from what was happening in American culture at that time of people, you know, taking LSD, going to a Grateful Dead show, things like that, that they were trying to look at how these plants and substances were used in a bit more of a rigorous and culturally meaningful context. And so they came up with this term entheogen. And um, to also move back a word, you also mentioned non-duality, that my particular approach to entheogens, or again, what are called psychedelics or hallucinogens, Mm -hmm. what I think that is most significant about them is that they make the non-dual experience accessible to people in a way that is essentially easier than, say, traditional religious methodologies, say, of like Buddhist meditation or Hindu meditation or Taoist metaphysical practices, which are striving after this non-dual experience, this experience of unitary being, unitary consciousness, this experience of oneness with everything, that this is something that's also accessible through entheogens and through psychedelics. And the one that is most effective in that regard 
is the one that you mentioned is 5-MeO-DMT, which is also, if we were to elaborate all the letters in there, it's 5-methoxy-dimethyltryptamine. So that's primarily where my interests lie. You have a PhD in religious studies. What drew you to this area of study and what was your main focus? Well, when I first went to college in Los Angeles at Occidental College, I was kind of torn between being a philosophy major or perhaps going into theoretical physics. So th those are my two areas. You know, I was one of these thinking kids that when I first learned that philosophy was a profession like back in high school, I just kind of lit up and I thought, well, you mean I could just think about things and I could get paid to think about things? That, that, that'd be great. That's the job I want. Exactly. So when I went went to college, um, it was uh, either between philosophy or theoretical physics, which is also heavily based in philosophy once you're at that level of physics. But I ended up going into philosophy, but ultimately became dissatisfied with the philosophy department because I had discovered, you know, my own personal discovery that there is such a thing as Buddhist philosophy, which I found to be very fascinating and in many respects more insightful than what I was learning from other aspects of the philosophy department. Um, but philosophy departments are pretty much exclusively focused on what we could just call Western philosophy. So, you know, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, you know, the ancient Greeks, everybody's mm -hmm. familiar with that. And then things like Descartes or Kant or John Stuart Mill, you know, these European and also some American philosophers, but everything else within philosophy departments is relegated to religion. So if you want to study Buddhist philosophy or Taoist philosophy or Hindu philosophy, you have to go to a religious studies department. So I ended up more and more drifting into that area, became a religious studies minor, and became very interested not only in just Buddhist philosophy, but also what I would um, just kind of blanketly label as shamanism, and then also comparative mysticism of looking at how mystical experiences are promoted or cultivated in different cultures or different religious traditions and whether it's comparable from one culture or tradition to another or whether they're completely distinct. And then as a graduate student, um, deciding that I wanted to continue to pursue studying Buddhist philosophy, I ended up at the University of California, Santa Barbara in the religious studies program. But then somewhat through an accident, in a class, um, I ended up choosing um, to do a research project on a Native American mystic rather than a Buddhist mystic. Hmm. All right, uh, uh, John, we've got to take our commercial break here. I'm s okay. Thanks to John and Master Control for cueing me. My guest this hour is Martin W. Ball, and we're talking about religious studies and a very specific area that you won't want to miss when we come back here to the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. We'll be right back. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Explanation. Uh, Dr. Martin Ball is our special guest. His website is martinball.net. 
So let's just do a little bit of backstepping here. What are ethogens and, and you know, are they necessary when it comes to one's religious practice? Um, no, they're, they're not necessarily necessary. Um, and sorry to correct you, the word is entheogen. So entheogens. the first part is N as inside, All gen right. to generate, and, and theo means God. So it's entheogen is to generate God within. Um, and something that was very surprising to me as I got into religious studies, and just to quickly wrap up the, the previous segment, sure. that I ended up going into Native American religious traditions is what I focused on most um, within my studies as a graduate student. But the more I learned about religion, so I was raised in a completely secular household, a completely non-religious household. So to me, religion was people reading the Bible and going to church, that that's really all that I knew about it until I got exposed to the wide variety of religious traditions around the world and their histories and their complex developments. And something that became very surprising to me is that many archaeologists and anthropologists and historians are now pretty much all of the agreement that before we have what we call organized religions, such mm -hmm. as Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, some of these main religions today, that when people lived in small hunter-gatherer societies, that the primary religious focus is what we could call shamanism. And within shamanism, within any tribe or, or culture, you have certain individuals who use altered states of consciousness to perform religious rituals, to perform healings, um, to gain insight into the nature of reality or, or whatever it may be. And many shamanic traditions around the world have been based around the use of plant or mushroom hallucinogens. And that this is something that goes back all the way into human prehistory. And we know this by cave paintings on walls, and we know this by mythology, we know this by symbolism. Mm -hmm. And then as the more organized religions developed and grew, you know, we can go back into Hinduism, for example, and 5,000 years ago, one of the main practices in Hinduism was the consumption of psychedelics. And in the Hindu tradition, that was called Soma, or also called Amrita, or the divine nectar of immortality. And you can read these ancient Hindu texts, and they talk about how this working with these kinds of plants and substances is actually the fastest route to enlightenment. And then later developments are the more of the meditation tradition and the yoga tradition, mm -hmm. um, so that we can see in many religious traditions around the world, this is actually at the root, the very core of how these religions originally developed, so that there really isn't a lot of lineage there. And depending on where you are in the world, you know, if you look at religious traditions in Central America or South America, and often in many North American native indigenous cultures, that the use of these kinds of, they're generally called sacred plants or plant teachers, is really fundamental to the religious practice. And it's something that Western religions kind of got away from a little bit. But we see this in many places around the world. So even fr from our modern perspective, especially when we live in a culture that kind of demonizes, calls these things drugs and say that they're bad, that when we move out of kind of that cultural mindset, we can see that many cultures around the world have really valued these things. But you know, and, how, what, how can yeah. we put faith into any religion where you have to be stoned in order to understand it? Well, like that, I that, that, to, that to me is, you know, is, is next to the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that we should have faith in any religion. So I would like to make that clear that I'm not an advocate right. of re religion at all. It's something that I study. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I necessarily support. So I think that there's a lot of issues with religion um, in general. Um, so I'm not trying to promote belief. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand that. I understand that. I, I wasn't directing that question at, at you as participating. But how can people in general, in today's society take any religion or religious philosophy that is based on somebody getting stoned out of their tree on mushrooms or haiwara or anything else and take it seriously? Well, 
we, in some sense, we could kind of ask that question of any human experience because we now know through modern science that uh-huh. all states of consciousness are mediated by neurotransmitters. Right. Okay. So th- this is just a biological given that the neurochemical mix that is present inside our bodies mm-hmm. at any given time and activating different areas of our brain is going to influence our perceptions, is going to influence our experience. And something that we now know, that this also was discovered, I think, back in the 1970s, that the human body itself produces these very same molecules. So, for example, dimethyltryptamine and 5-methoxydimethyltryptamine are naturally produced in the human body. And it doesn't, it doesn't even need to be introduced. So it's something that is accessible for things like psychedelic mushrooms or ayahuasca or yopo snuff or these various other things that are used in traditional indigenous cultures. But it's also available inside the body and something that's... But, that but some isn't, ner- it, isn't, it also, isn't it also very important to say that the body regulates the amount of these chemicals that it releases? And when we take these chemicals outside of the body in a different... Uh, different strengths and different potions that we're introducing these 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 chemicals and molecules in quantities that the body is not used to. Well, th- that's a question. So something that some neuroscientists are just starting to look at mm-hmm. is they're proposing, well, let's take some really experienced meditators, people who are not using any kind of substance, and let's start doing some analysis, some blood analysis of what happens to their neurochemical mix when they go into a deep state of meditation. And can we see, are there, is, is the body producing these chemicals in excess at this time? So in other words, that there might be methodologies that people can engage in without ingesting these substances that does, in a sense, naturally increase um, their presence inside the human system. And so then we can say, well, maybe there's not so much of a difference between taking something from an exterior source or something that is produced, quote unquote, naturally inside the body. But maybe all of these experiences really are being regulated by these kinds of molecules. So this is something that's still open to investigation. And this is something that neuroscience and um, biochemical analysis, we're now able to start to look at these kinds of things. But that's that's a current question for mm-hmm. neuroscientists. All right. So besides the the hallucinogenic effect that of these these molecules and these chemicals that our body produces what are they used for in human physiology well here you know there's a lot of current scientific research that's being done that's looking at these kinds of questions um so i gathered from the little intro stuff that um you're recording this in Canada, and here I am in the United States, and, and as I'm sure you're aware, something that's been happening in the United States, for example, taking marijuana, taking cannabis, that that's something that is currently enjoying widespread legalization across the United States. And one of the primary reasons that that is being done is for medical purposes. Oh, I, so hate, I, yeah, I, I, I disagree with you. Though. The reason it's being made is because the government can now tax it. And instead of the, the illicit drug trade making the money on it, the government will. Right. But one of the main arguments for why this should be available. So, for example, in the United States, there's only a handful of states that have it legal for, quote unquote, a recreational purpose. And mm-hmm. the rest are for a medical purpose. Yep. And the research that's been done has found that it actually is beneficial for a number of physical ailments and also mental ailments. And so this same kind of research is now being done with ayahuasca. It's being done with iboga. It's being done with psilocybin. It's being done with MDMA. And it's actually found that some of these compounds, for example, with ayahuasca and with psilocybin mushrooms, it actually can regrow damaged neural networks within the brain as well as simultaneously overcoming chronic depression, um, able to use these uh, molecules to help treat addictive behavior. So people who, right now in the United States, we have this enormous opioid Mm -hmm. crisis, that more people die from opioid overdoses of legal drugs than they do from all other illegal drugs combined. So this is by far the most significant drug crisis in the United States. But if you give someone a session with ibogaine or iboga, which comes from West African culture and West African tradition, it can disrupt 
the addictive behavior and cravings of the most hardcore heroin addict with one treatment. And that's astounding that these molecules have that property. And the reason why they work, the reason why they're effective, is because they are neurotransmitters and they are working directly at the neurological level. And they're found to be extraordinarily effective. So right now, for example, here in Oregon, where I live, um, there is a current political movement to legalize psilocybin mushrooms for therapeutic purposes. The same thing is going on currently in California right now. Um, there's a ballot measure that's going to be coming up in 2019, excuse me, 2018, addressing this. So this is a movement that's happening, and there are the therapeutic benefits are really undeniable at this point from the amount of research that's been done. All, these all right, areas. but let's look at the other side of the coin. How do we know sure. that by legalizing these, these uh, thought to be uh, cures, if taken by someone who isn't physically or mentally challenged in any way, that the induction of these drugs into their system, like, like heroin, or like the, the opide problem we have today, will not have the same effect, and we will be opening the Pandora's box to yet another drug problem. Well, I think the basic answer to that is that people have been doing these things for thousands of years, so it's not like we're introducing something new. But that Whereas, doesn't mean it's right. That doesn't mean it's right. Well, it's, it's not to say whether it's right or wrong. It's to say that it's not that it's introducing something new that's not already there. But we okay, can say so, the same thing about heroin. We can say say the same thing about cocaine. We can say the same thing about marijuana. Like, I'm an ex-cop. I'm not in favor of drug reform. Well, you know, places that have legalized marijuana, they've actually found that um, teen use, for example, actually goes down in the states where marijuana has been legalized. And so rather than kind of the, the scare tactics that have been used that, oh, well, this is going to get everybody hooked on it, um, that that hasn't been borne out through actual practice. And places like Portugal, which mm -hmm. is deregulated and legalized most forms of drugs, have found a significant drop in drug abuse. Um, just a recent study that was done, um, I forget the university did the study, so forgive me about that, sure. but they just did a study about the consumption of psilocybin mushrooms, and they found that it actually reduces criminal behavior, be people who are introduced to these experiences through these substances. Um, another study that was done in South America found that people who drank ayahuasca mm -hmm. are more, more socially stable, they are more productive in their jobs, they have happier home lives, they're less likely to get divorced, they're less likely to have any kind of domestic abuse. So but we're I think... We're, we're, we're mixing yeah. cultures here. We can't compare ourselves to the culture in South America. We can't compare ourselves to the people who live in the Amazon jungle, for God's sake. Well, no, these aren't people living in the Amazon jungle. These are people living in Rio de Janeiro. These are people living in the city. Um, and the point is that actually what we need is more studies, that we've been fed a lot of radically misinformed information about a lot of these substances. So, I mean, even again, comparing mm -hmm. it to things like heroin, um, psychedelic compounds are not addictive, whereas heroin is radically addictive. So we're dealing with very different kinds of substances here because some of them, the categories of psychedelics, most of those are very natural to the human body, that they're part of our natural biochemistry. And so our bodies are able to work with them in a way that's very different than, say, introducing heroin, mm -hmm. which our bodies are not really prepared to deal with, which creates these addictions and cravings and then these destructive behaviors and psychoses. And the medical studies and research that have been done on All right, listen, I hate to do this, but I, uh, we've got to take our break. We'll be back on sure. the other side, Exxon. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
Dr. Martin W. Ball is our special guest, www.martinball.net. All right, I, I understand that, that you were saying that hallucinogenics are not addictive. But what about the people who get hooked on the, not the addiction of the drug, but the psychological effects that the drugs have on their lives? Yeah, and I think that that's a great question. And that's one of the reasons why... Two, two of the main areas that we're seeing this kind of reform taking place currently in the United States mm-hmm. is related to um, medicine and therapy and also in terms of religious and spiritual practice. And what's significant about both of these is that um, this is not uh, – it's not just using it without a safety net or without um, a cultural and societal container – in order to help people through these difficult experiences. So, for example, in California, the California Institute of Integral Studies, even though it is not legal yet, um, the prediction is that within the next few years, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy is going to be legal in California. This is something that the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, also known as MAPS, has found to be extraordinarily effective in treating post-traumatic stress disorder for American veterans. So people come back from Iraq and Afghanistan and they're just a basket case and they're haunted with depression and fears. And then they're given, I think, two to three sessions with MDMA with a licensed, supervised um, clinical setting with people who are working with this person, Mm -hmm. also with standard therapy. So it's not just kind of giving it to them and letting them out on the street and here you go and deal with it on your own. And then another place that we're seeing this happen, so for example, here in Ashland, Oregon, where I live, Mm -hmm. a few years ago, the Santo Daime Church, which is an export from Brazil, but it's very active in the United States, where they use a version of ayahuasca as a sacramental tea within their religious practice. And an exception has already been made in U.S. law regarding peyote and Native American use of peyote in the Native American church. And here again, we have a social structure where it's not just, hey, let's sit around and get high, but let's go into an altered state of consciousness and use this for our own spiritual and personal development. So it's not like it's completely unstructured. And so anyway, the Santo Daime Church uh, sued the federal government. They took them to court to have their religious freedom and their religious rights protected, and the federal government found in their favor. Um, So now currently in Oregon, if you become a member of the Santo Daime Church, Um, You can legally drink ayahuasca in this state. Um, But even there, to get into the Santo Daime, they're going to interview you first. They're going to ask you, well, why are you coming? Why do you want to take this? And if you just say, hey, man, I just want to get really high, they're not going to let you come. And then they're also going to sit down and talk with you about your experiences. And this is the same thing that we see going on in the medical profession, where it's being implemented as part of a course of treatment where – the people who are receiving this are being observed and they're being worked with because there are the possibilities of people just getting lost in mental la-la land. And there are the possibilities for people um, to, rather than overcoming their depression, to perhaps get lost into an even deeper delusion about their depression. So it's not to say that these aren't very, very powerful because they are, but that's also what makes them powerful tools. But like any tool, it depends on how you use it. Now you, and, you mentioned you mentioned the yeah. veterans coming back from <clears throat> the different theaters where the American forces are now, and yeah. the PTSD. You know, World War One, World War Two, Korea. These guys, these guys handled it. They took care of themselves. They don't need drugs. They never got the you know the uh, the pansy act of PTSD. For goodness' sake, they were men. Well, I don't know if we can necessarily say that. I mean, if if we look at, you know, here in the United States, the people from World mm-hmm. War II are often called the greatest generation. And, well, okay, so the greatest generation, but then look what they brought us in the modern era where we are reaching environmental um, disaster. We have the proliferation of nuclear weapons around the world. What's I mean, that got to do with PTSD? Well, I'm saying that if if we want to say that, hey, well, this generation worked it all out, I mm-hmm. would say actually there's evidence that I they didn't did. say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I just said that 
society didn't pander to people. You know, there were there's you know there's more crybabies in today's society than there are men and people who actually stand on their own two feet. Well, but to see, that's a sociological question. It's a psychological question. Were they really standing on their own two feet or were they coming over deep psychoses and deep mental issues that never got resolved, which then had a very negative impact on culture and that maybe we are now dealing with the fact that these people were not treated. And we also have to acknowledge that the use of explosive weaponry, mm-hmm. I mean, it was obviously it was terrible in World War II, sure. but it's even more terrible now. And so people are exposed to perhaps even a level. And even World War II, what that lasted four years, the United States has now been Iraq for 17 years and soldiers have gone through repeated deployments that they're not actually even allowed to leave the military. And some but um, these don't, groups let's, have, let's not forget that the soldiers of today were not forced into becoming soldiers. This was a professional choice that they took. It's no different than the policeman, the fireman, the paramedic, who also faces these kind of problems. And yet nobody takes a, takes a look at them. Look at the cops and the firefighters from the, the World Trade Center. You know, they fought. So when you see the soldiers who, who go over there to fight, God bless them for that. But that is a chosen profession. They weren't drafted. This is a choice they made. Right, but does it's that a, mean that... It's a hazard. That, it's a professional yeah. hazard. Yeah, but we can still extend compassion. There is compassion. And kindness and, oh, too. sure, there's, we, com, there's compassion, can, then there's kindness, but then to use it as an excuse to bring new drugs into, the, into society? That is ridiculous. Well, that's just something that uh, we can disagree on, because uh, I don't I don't think it's ridiculous. I think it's helpful for people, and I don't see anything wrong. Do you take with, those drugs? If, if, if there's something that can help someone, uh-huh. I don't see what the issue is with applying that to them and making it available. And we can say, oh, yeah, you got to be tough about mm-hmm. it. But why not just help people? Do you I take mean, these drugs? Oh, I certainly have. Okay, so you're a proponent for its legalization. Oh, yes. Why? Oh, for a number of reasons. Give um, me some. For, for a lot of the reasons that we've already mentioned, Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I would say here in the United States, the quote unquote drug war mm-hmm. has resulted in the United States and having the largest prison population on the planet in the history of the world. We lock up more of our citizens than anywhere else in the world. You break a the law, you go to jail. I agree with that 100%. But a majority of them are for drug related offenses, and the majority of those actually are people who are minorities, people of color, and so that there's a disproportionate attention that is played or paid to minorities within this country. They're bearing the brunt. Well, that's because they're breaking the law. Well, not necessarily. I mean, just just today I was watching a video of cops Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles planting drugs in the wallet of a black guy that they pulled over. That's how a lot of these people end up in prison. So the drug war is used oh, as a on, way on, of on, oppressing on. people. All right. So country. you're saying that to equalize this, we legalize drugs. And what we do is we, we let all the people out who have been falsely incarcerated, God forbid, back into the streets, into society. Well, if they wouldn't have broken the law in the first place, they wouldn't be in jail. Yeah. But, you know, again, when we look at things specifically like drugs. Uh-huh. I think when we take a historical perspective kind right. of where we started and we realize people have been using these things for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That and just because someone it... comes, along, comes along and says, hey, we should make this illegal, it's not necessarily going to stop people. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that law was justified in the first place. Here in the United States, marijuana was made illegal out of exclusively racist priorities. That it was specifically made illegal so that white people could lock up more black people. Oh, come Not on. Be- Do you really believe that? It's a direct quote from Richard Nixon. I mean, hey, listen, can't. you're talking about one of the most crooked people on earth and one of the biggest liars that ever held a presidential post in the United States. And you're using that as validation? Well, yeah, he he ramped up and created the drug war. And the direct quote from him is that he wanted to put more blacks and more hippies in jail, and he wanted to figure out ways to do it so he was going to oh. make marijuana illegal. But what about the other drugs? What about heroin? What about what about all the all the legal drugs that are now being abused by kids? What about the well, sociological impact? What about the economic impact? What about the family? 
impact that the drug abuse situation that with the controls in place that we're seeing in society, you bring these hallucinogenics into the mix, and my God, it's going to be hell on earth. Well, studies don't bear that conclusion out, that they're actually, as I've been discussing, that the um, scientific studies and sociological studies that have been done on these actually prove the exact opposite. All right, what about the government studies by the FDA? Well, the FDA actually hasn't done any. The FDA has not been, for example, the FDA has not been studying mar medical marijuana. There has been no government mm -hmm. conducted research into psychedelics in this country since the 1970s. This is currently something that's being done by research universities and medical institutions in the United States. But the federal government is not doing anything about it. And many of the experts, the medical experts, are saying these, specifically when we're talking about hallucinogens, mm -hmm. they should not be placed in the Schedule One category of illegal drugs in the United States because that is not a legitimate classification. It is not borne out by the scientific evidence. And these laws were created without any evidence. They were created out of hysteria and propaganda. And now that there actually is being research that's being uh -huh. done, that many people are of the opinion that this classification is not legitimate. So, so for example, in the United States, marijuana is still listed as a Schedule One illegal drug mm -hmm. with a high propensity for addiction, which mm -hmm. it does not have, and has no medical use, which is clearly contraindicated by all of the evidence at this point. You know, have you ever gone to a parent and told them that their child was dead because of a drug overdose? or because their, their son or their daughter was involved in a gang slaying over drugs? Have no, you? I have not. I have. And I'll tell you something. It's not pretty to see the hurt, the damage that drugs of any type that are not legal or acquired legally, how they affect society, how they ruin homes. So just, well, to, just to take a, just to take a, uh, a bit of evidence... And say, well, geez, you know what? We've got this study, that study, this study, that study. Study the effect on the families. Study the effect on society. Study the effect on criminology and uh, criminality. Put it all yeah, together. But, that's but that's when. That, that's exactly what I'm telling you is currently happening. That's what's currently taking place. And that the information, the results of these studies is not bearing out the drug war hysteria that has been promoted at the federal level. And so let's take another example. So you want to talk about families. All right, so we've got to take... You want to talk... Yeah, we got okay. to take a break. We'll come right back. Exxon okay. Nation, uh, to find out what programming we have available for you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. I'll be back after this break. Don't go away. including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 
213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Explanation, uh, Dr. Martin W. Ball is our guest, www.com martinball.com.net, I should say, and www.exploring-psychedelics.org. Before we went to the break, you were going to give me an example of how hallucinogens and uh, psychedelics affect families. Yeah. So this is an article that I just read today, that there Mm -hmm. is a 12-year-old girl who formerly lived in Texas. Mm Mm-hmm which has some of the most restrictive drug laws in the country, in Texas. This little girl, like many people around the country, suffers from debilitating seizures, where every day she would go into these fits of seizures where she's basically just vibrating and shaking and she cannot function. And this is a progressive disease, so as she gets older, this is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Right. There have been no medicines, conventional medicines, that have been found to treat her. Yet, if she takes one drop of concentrated cannabis oil from the marijuana plant. Mm -hmm. If she takes that once a day, she has no seizures. Now, in Texas, Mm -hmm. her parents were getting this for her, and they could end up in federal prison in Texas by giving her this the one and only medicine that actually treats her condition. All right, let me ask you something. You know what? I, I see where you're going with this, and God bless her, my heart is out to her, but why can't Big Pharma replicate that drug make it legal so that child can get the drug legally in texas well that's one of the problems that they haven't been able to that they've tried synthesizing marijuana so that is available in the united states Mm -hmm. it's um a synthetic form and it it doesn't work the same way why not simply simply doesn't well one of the reasons that um researchers are looking at is that when you're taking an extract that comes from a plant Mm -hmm. it actually has a wide variety of other things in there as well that are working synergistically to produce these medical benefits and effects so if we're just working with an extract of THC that's been synthesized in a lab, it may not necessarily have the same physiological effect. So the the only current medicine that is available is cannabis oil that comes directly from the plant. And so this girl and her family, they have now moved out of Texas. They recently moved to Colorado where mm-hmm. they can legally obtain this medicine. And this 12-year-old girl is suing the Attorney General of the United States to reschedule cannabis at from out of schedule one into one that is a medically regulated level so it's just that's just not a legitimate classification and another example a quick one i wanted to give you is um cluster headaches is something that not many people suffer from but people who do suffer from it say it is absolutely agonizing where they get these headaches where they describe it as feeling like thousands of knives being stabbed into their head. There Mm -hmm. is no conventional medical therapy for people who suffer from cluster headaches. However, and people who get these, they might suffer them several times a day. Every day they go through these cluster headaches, just excruciating pain. If they do one session with psilocybin mushrooms, it stops the cluster headaches for up to six months to a year. That's astounding. So imagine if your children suffered from cluster headaches and the only way you could help them see relief from this incredible debilitating pain Mm -hmm. was to give them an illegal drug and risk jail time. Well, why is it possible that the hospitals in different areas where these drugs are illegal be given the authority to administer these drugs under hospital and medical conditions, just like they do with certain other drugs that are highly illegal if you take them outside of a hospital. 
Yeah, well, I think that's exactly the point that I'm arguing for here is that the, all of these things are currently listed as Schedule 1, meaning right. that the, the federal government says they have no medical uses. So what we need to do is we need to move them out of Schedule 1 into one that actually can be provided by medical professionals. And so that's, that's what's happening in the United States right now. There is this movement and medical professionals around the country, mm-hmm. and not just this country, but actually this is a movement that's happening around the world currently. So this is not just an American issue. But once again, um, if it's taken out of uh, out of the classification uh, one, anybody can get access to it. Am I correct? No, no, that's all that's right. So what correct. you're saying so, that so, you're, so you're for example, there, there's classification two, yeah, um, which then um, makes it available for medical research and um, you know, for, so opioids they're mm-hmm. part of, for example, the scheduling system, but right. they're not listed as schedule one, which is again that's psychedelics, marijuana. Those are schedule one these compounds that actually do have medical uses. So we need to reschedule them, and then we can also reformat how they are made accessible within society but, so but that people so, wouldn't need to go to right, an underground market if they so could go am to I, so, am I, so am I correct in understanding you that you're saying, all right, let's make these drugs accessible for sick people under controlled, supervised administration and... Uh, and... Uh, prescription purposes. Am I right? I'd, I'd say that that's a place to start, yes. Yeah, but you want to take it to the extreme, in my opinion. You want to make this legal for anybody. Well, it depends on what we're talking about. Um, again, I'm not a religious person. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't participate in any religion, but I do think that if it's part of someone's religious tradition, that they should also have an exception. So I completely support the Santo Daime Church here in... Ashland for them to drink ayahuasca that contains a Schedule One illegal drug of dimethyltryptamine. Are you I a member that of that, that church, by the way? Excuse me. Are you a member of that church? I've attended the church. I'm not a member of the church. So when you go to this church, do you actually partake in the taking of this uh, substance? Oh, absolutely. There wouldn't be much reason to go if you didn't. So you're abusing that privilege of the people who actually go to that church in order to satisfy your own uh, experience. Well, I went not as a worshiper of their religion, but uh-huh. I did go at the time that I was attending. I would have identified myself as a spiritual seeker. And as I said, that this isn't a church that just anybody can go to, that you're actually interviewed. You have to go through an interview process before they even agree to let you in. And so that they have to feel that your intentions for joining their ceremony is legitimate within their view. And so that's a process that I went through, and so I was accepted in. Not necessarily everybody would I hope to God the laws never change. I really do. The world is screwed up enough without allowing people to take psychedelic drugs. I, I see no reason for it. I really don't. And if the government is stupid enough to allow a religious organization use that pitiful excuse in order that the, the religious organization abuses the system, and finds a little loophole in order to get their way, you know, why didn't they just stay in Brazil? Why bring their problems here to North America? Well, because these are American citizens. They don't. So let them go Brazil. to Brazil. Well, they did, and that's how they ended up bringing it here. They should have stayed in Brazil because society doesn't want that kind of crap here. So is it is, then is it the government's job to regulate religion? It's the government's job to protect the people. Well, you don't these, go to Catholic uh, church to get, uh, you know, to take uh, psychedelic drugs. You don't go to a synagogue to take psychedelic drugs. You go to the, you go to a church or the synagogue, to express your faith in God and to, and to be with others, you know, to to use drugs in any use, other than prescribed. In my opinion, is breaking the law. You break the law, you go to jail. It's that plain. It's that simple. If you can't do the time, you don't do the crime. But that's also an argument for changing the laws if it's not actually fitting with the behaviors within society that are not harmful. Hey, listen, I'm also for uh, President Trump's uh, view on immigration. So, you know, I'm just a good old country boy, I guess. Well, all right, to each their own. Exactly. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Dr. Martin Ball has been our guest. He's a bit of a, a wingnut, as you probably guess. And um, I'm sorry, Exonation. I don't go for this. You know, if you want to use drugs 
in a religious organization ceremony, go to the country where the drugs are. We don't want that crap up here. Do you? No, I didn't think you did. You've got more brains than that. Yeah, let's all get high so we can have a spiritual experience. Yeah, yeah, let's get high so we don't have to face reality. Let's get high because you know what? Because we can. Because we've got the money to make. And I'll bet you that church would let anybody in who has the money to pay the amount. That kind of would grease the palm of the people who, um, who make the decisions of whether you play and get high or you don't, whether or not you're religious or not. Come on. It scares me when, when I hear people like that who have, you know, degrees after their name because it makes no sense to me. It really does. I, I find it insulting to society to have these kind of people professing, using the, using the, um, the illnesses and disadvantages of certain members of society who legitimately can gain from the use of these drugs. But he doesn't want it to stop there. Oh, no. Oh, no. He wants it to go all the way so that everyone who wants to take psychedelic drugs can take psychedelic plants because it's their right. No, it's not your right. It's the right for the little girl who needs it to stop the seizures. It's, it's for the people who legitimately need it. Sounds like he's been on it way too long, and that's why he wants it. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, whether you agree with me or not, X-Zone at XZoneRadioTV.com. And don't forget to check out the programming available to you, 724-365 at www.xzbn.net. I am Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. But don't come on this show and try and change the way I look at certain things. I'm not pro-drugs. You know, if the little girl needs the drug, let's do everything we can to make sure she gets it. But when it comes to people in religious beliefs who come from other countries and they fight the judicial system and get the permission to use these hallucinogenics in their rituals... Let them go back to where they came. Don't go away. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 